This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. This is part three of our Courageous Evangelism series. I did part one, Pastor Jim did part two, and I'm returning today to do part three. I'm excited about today because we're going to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, which is power evangelism. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about prophetic evangelism and presence evangelism. I'm going to give you guys some definitions of those things here in just a moment. But before we do that, let's talk about the Holy Spirit's mission. At Courageous Church, we believe that everything that we're called to do is in the power of the Spirit. And uh, Keaton, next slide. We see this all throughout Scripture, but particularly in the life of Jesus. In the life of Jesus, we see the work of the Holy Spirit most vividly. We see it when Jesus received the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 22. We see it when Jesus was led by the Spirit. We know that he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We see it when Jesus returns from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, the Bible tells us, in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. We see it when Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to his disciples and followers in Acts chapter 1. And we see it all throughout the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament when the disciples are now moving in the power of the Spirit. Do you see the progression here? Jesus receives the Spirit, returns in the power of the Spirit, gives the Spirit, and now the disciples are operating and moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's really the common thread that I want us to key in on today. When we talk about the Holy Spirit's mission, we talk about the power and the presence of God at work in and through his people. And so I want to first start with a couple of really cool stories about some people that had the Holy Spirit completely wreck them, completely turn their world upside down. Let's look at this first one by a uh, a man named Dwight L. Moody. This is Dwight L. Moody's story. He had already built a particularly large church in 1871 in the city of Chicago. Now, uh, back then, that this would have been revolutionary, but it still is today. The interesting thing, though, about Dwight L. Moody building this large church is that he, by his own admission, did it through hustling and the work of the flesh, which tells me that you can actually get on doing the things of God in the flesh and have considerable results. That's true. But later on in his ministry, he had two women pray for him to receive the baptism of the Spirit. And they came up to him after a service and said, we've been praying for you and we believe God wants to do more in your life. And so he pulled them into his office to talk with them about what they were meaning and they prayed for him, and later that year, the power of God fell on him while he was in New York walking on Wall Street. Next slide. From that moment on, Moody's ministry was never, ever the same again. As it turns out, he goes to England, and he begins to host these amazing evangelistic campaigns there. As history would have it, over a million people got saved. I mean, that's just extraordinary. And that was after he had already built a large church. Let's look at another story of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. Let's look at Charles Finney's story. Maybe you guys have heard this name, uh, but some of you watching online, maybe you haven't. One of the great evangelists of all time shares how the Holy Spirit came upon him after he returned from the woods. He describes feeling this electricity all throughout his body, and he cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. Many of you have, have experienced maybe something like this, the power and presence of God uh, through the Holy Spirit. I know that for, for me as a young boy, around seven or eight years old, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I felt like a warm oil was rushing through my body. And so it may not be electricity, it may not be oil, it may be a different sensation, but oftentimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we feel it in our bones. We feel it in our, our body because God made us to be holistic creatures, right? So why would it not touch our, you know, physical members? Why would it not touch our emotions? Why would it not do those things? 
Um, that was particularly Charles Finney's example. Let's look at Amy Semple McPherson's example. She was a remarkable healing evangelist in the early 20th century, and she actually ended up going on to found the Foursquare denomination. But she experienced the power of the Holy Spirit while simply praising God during a vigil. A lot of times people ask me, Pastor Jason, like, what do I need to do to be able to experience the power of God? Well, praise him. Pray. Ask. And you'll be surprised how oftentimes he'll show up in ways that are unexpected, but sometimes he'll show up right in the midst of your worship, right in the midst of, uh, of you carving out time to give him devotion. Uh, that was her, her example. And let's look at one of my all-time favorite examples of the Holy Spirit moving in power, which is Billy Graham's story. Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists in history. In 1947, he was invited to, a, to visit a Welsh evangelist named... Stephen Olford, and Olford shared with Billy his own experience with the Holy Spirit. Billy went on to say this, well, that's what I want. That's what I need in my life. And here's the cool part. Here's what happens next. They prayed together. Next slide. And Billy went from praying, God, I want this. I need this in my life, to praising just declaring the works of God, declaring his goodness, declaring his love, to laughing, to walking back and forth in the room crying out, I have it, I'm filled. This is the turning point in my life. Now this was before his ministry blew up. A lot of people don't know this about Billy Graham. A lot of people haven't heard this story. But it's amazing what he obviously went on to do. You guys all probably have heard of Billy Graham. He's considered one of the greatest evangelists of our time. So oftentimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we're going to experience it in all different ways. We're going to sometimes see people get filled and baptized in the Spirit at different moments and times. I know when I was working at a church in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, I had a young Baptist brother come up to me and say, I've been hearing you week after week talk about the Holy Spirit. I want to have this in my life. And we prayed together and nothing happened. But later that day, he went home and he was doing the dishes. And the Holy Spirit fell upon him and he began to pray in tongues. Just out of the blue. He'd, he'd never heard it. He'd never been coerced to do it. I didn't teach him or coach him. It just happened. Oftentimes, the power of the Holy Spirit will fall when we least expect it. But here's the caveat I want to make. The Lord asks us to desire it. And this young man was obviously in a position to desire the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit more. Let's talk about the filling and the baptism of the Spirit. Because in my view, I see these as distinct events or as separate from one another. I like this quote from Bill Johnson, so I tend to use it a lot. So I want to give him some credit today. But he says this, The Holy Spirit fills me for my sake and comes upon me for yours. So let's talk a little bit about the filling and the baptism of the Spirit. We know that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift that God wants to give all believers, right? We see this all throughout Scripture. Even in the Old Testament, God wants to pour out his Spirit. In fact, the prophet Joel prophesies that in the end days, God's going to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh, all sons and daughters, which is pretty powerful. We see that obviously later fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. But we know that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift to reside within us, to bless us, to edify us, to equip us, and this is the most important part, to work through us for the sake or benefit of other people. That's really what he's after. In the same way that the Holy Spirit was in and upon Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to be in and upon you. We see this most vividly in what Jesus does in John chapter 20, verse 22. It says this, next slide. Jesus breathed on the disciples to receive the infilling of the Spirit in John chapter 20, but then told them to go and be baptized with the Spirit in Acts 1, verses 5 through 8. So at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, we see Jesus actually breathe on his followers, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe and it's many others' opinion, that it was at that point that the disciples received a regenerated heart, that they received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But then later, he tells them, just a few verses after that, 
to go and be baptized with the Spirit, in the Spirit's power. He says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. So that they can receive power to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus knows they've got a mission to fulfill, and they're going to need power. It's not enough just for them to know him. They knew Jesus, right? By Acts chapter 1, did the disciples know Jesus? Yes, they were intimately equated with his ways. Did they see the resurrected one? Yes. Did they get to put their fingers in the holes in his hands? Yes. You could say they were intimately acquainted with God at this point. But Jesus said they still needed power for what they were going to face. And then, of course, we see that later fulfilled in Acts 2, as I've already mentioned and alluded to. The interesting thing about the infilling of the Holy Spirit is that it's intended to be ongoing. And we see this in this next slide. The ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. We see believers from John chapter 20 and Acts 2 receive actually another fresh infilling of power later in Acts 4. Here's what it says in verse 31. After they prayed, they were all together praying, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Okay, this had already happened in Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So some people go, well, it's a one-time event. Well, it happened in their life multiple times. And this isn't the only recording of God moving and pouring out his spirit upon them so that they can be filled again and again. And I believe it's because God's heart for us is to experience this on a daily basis, to go on being filled again and again and again. And of course, we see the Apostle Paul tell us about this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Next slide. The Apostle Paul encourages the church to be filled continually. He says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Some of you guys need to just practice that, okay? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The interesting thing about the word be filled here is actually in the, because actually in the Greek, it's in the continual present tense. So if you study grammar or you study the way Greek operates, the way this was translated into English is different than the way it is in the Greek. In the Greek, it's in the continual present tense, meaning it's, it's supposed to continue to happen. It means it's, it's, it means it's a continual reality, if that makes sense. So the idea, or a better way to translate this would be, don't get drunk on wine, but go on being filled with the Spirit. Go on being filled. And I tell people that oftentimes when we think about the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, we look at our lives as like a container. I know that when I first started to study the Bible and I started to uh, talk to pastors and leaders about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, my view is that God wanted to fill us like this water bottle. The problem is, at some point, you're going to hit a limitation. And the cap's going to blow off and water's going to spill out all over the place. But later in my life, as I began to mature, I began to see my life more as a conduit. Through which, or like a hose, through which the Spirit wants to flow continually. I have a, a new hose that I installed on the side of my house so that I can power wash off my cement and driveway and fences. And I put this really cool little hose that contracts. Have you guys seen these things? They don't take up a lot of room when, when they're fully contracted, maybe like a, a foot. But when the water starts to flow through it, the thing stretches out 50 feet. And it's amazing. And the idea is that water wants to run continually through us in the same way the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to work continually through us. He wants to flow continually through us. So when Paul's saying, listen, guys, love that you love the vino, but don't get drunk on it. That just leads to debauchery. Instead, go on being filled with the Spirit. Keep being filled each and every day. Be a, a conduit through which God's power and presence can flow. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second here. I want to talk to you today, first and foremost, about power evangelism. This is one of my favorite things to do. It's reaching people through the demonstrative, visible power of Jesus through signs and wonders and salvation follows. Isn't that good? Essentially, it's doing what we see the Father doing. Jesus said this, I only do what I see my Father doing. 
So I want to talk to you about the, the how to, I, I should say it this way. I want to talk to you about how to operate in the power evangel, how to operate in power evangelism. Sorry, it's early. <laughs> how to operate in power evangelism. But before we can operate in it, we need to understand some biblical things about it. We've been talking about power evangelism actually this whole last five weeks as a church. Matthew 10, we see evidence of this. We see uh, people proclaiming the kingdom of God. We see uh, the sick being healed. We see the dead being raised. We see the cleansing of lepers and the casting out of demons and people giving graciously. These are just some of the, the modes of power evangelism. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We proclaim the kingdom. We heal the sick. We raise the dead. We cleanse the lepers. We cast out the demons. We, we give graciously. But let me give you guys some guidelines for how this is going to work practically. Let's talk about guidelines for moving in power. Number one, you got to be open, not closed, right? So if you're a conduit, first and foremost, you got to be on. You got to be open. You got to be uh, not closed. What does that mean? It means you need to say yes to God. You need to make yourself available. For those of you that showed up today, you said yes. You became available. Praise God. How many of you guys know we got a lot of stuff going on in our lives? A lot of activities, a lot of work, a lot of people pulling us. For those of you that have kids, oh, it's even more amplified. For you singles, you don't even understand responsibility until you get kids. I'm telling you. It's a whole nother level of crazy. <laughs> so you got to make the choice to be available to God to say yes. Then you got to be led by the Spirit. What being led by the Spirit is, is this, and I like to use this analogy, it's following the nudges or, or listening to or, or uh, being sensitive to the promptings of God that you feel. Uh, you got to be sensitive. For some of you, you know, you're, you're thick-headed, and this is hard. You're not emotionally driven. Pastor Jason is very emotionally driven, so being sensitive is not hard for me. But for some of you that are a little more stoic, a little more reserved, a little more contemplative, a little more closed off, it's sometimes difficult to, to follow the nudges because we're not always sure that God's moving in that realm of sensitivity in the way that we can sense him and feel him. You guys following me? But then not only do we want to be open and led, we want to look for open doors. We want to look for opportunities to engage with people. And that means being aware. We see lots of examples of this all throughout the book of Acts. But my most favorite examples of God opening up doors for people supernaturally, is in Acts 16 and 18. You guys should check those out. Let's talk about a couple more guidelines. We don't ever want to force things. If the spirit is not moving, don't try to manufacture it. This is the worst. This is my biggest pet peeve as a, as a pastor. People trying to fake the presence of God or fake the move of the spirit or manufacture it. All right, Don't try to force something. And even if you're in a conversation with somebody, and you're sharing your faith, and it doesn't look like they're being receptive, that's okay. You don't have to force them to make a decision for Christ. You don't have to force them to get down on their knees and repent, as if you and I probably could. I mean, some of you strong ones might be able to, just through might, you know, just get them in a headlock. You will receive Jesus today. You're going to get the people's elbow. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say be flexible. You know, for those of you that are going out with us today, be flexible. All right, there's opportunities sometimes that God has, has made a way for, and sometimes there are not, and that's okay. Uh, the next guideline for moving in power, pray for people that need a miracle. Don't be afraid to be audacious. You see someone in a wheelchair, don't be afraid to ask them if they'd like prayer for it. You see somebody in a cast, ask them if they want prayer for their arm. Be audacious, and if they say no, respect that. It's okay, all right, no problem. But be faith-filled. Walk with the expectation that God wants to do this stuff in the lives of people. That's what we've been talking about throughout this whole series called Outlandish. And for those of you watching online, I really encourage you to go back and watch those six or seven messages that we've done on this. And then lastly, ask for divine appointments. Uh, we did that before a few of you showed up today. We, we began to pray for God just to give us uh, open doors and divine appointments with people. Meaning that God's already setting up people for salvation. He's already doing the work and we're just joining him where he's already at. Isn't that, that's the way I like to look at it. Isn't that good? So we pray for God to bring people in your life that you can help to be expectant. That's really important guys, 
Because I think for, for many people that want to move in power, a lot of times uh, the temptation is to bring our own agenda to it. But if we can remember to be open and available and sensitive and flexible and faith-filled and expectant, we're going to see God do extraordinary things. Amen? That's our hope. That's our expectation. Let's transition now to talking about prophetic evangelism. Some of you guys love the prophetic. And it's not something that I get a lot of time to usually teach on, but it's actually near and dear to my heart. Because God has used the prophetic in mighty ways in my own life. And I've seen him do it in the lives of unbelievers, which is where it gets really fun. Let's look at an example from scripture of one of the greatest prophetic evangelistic moments in Jesus' life. We actually see it in John chapter 4. Some of you know the story. But here's what it says. Jesus said to her, woman, go and get your husband and bring him back. And she says to Jesus, she says to the Son of God, the Messiah, I have no husband. The woman answered, and Jesus says, you're right. You have had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. <laughs> and I love her response. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. <laughs> now, if someone were to come to us and tell us things about our life that they shouldn't know, we would probably have the same response. Sir or madam, I see that you are a prophet. <laughs> and I love this example because it's so practical. Jesus encounters this woman at the well in Samaria. Je Jesus is a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Traditionally and historically, the, those two groups did not get along. They were different ethnic groups that fought. Um, Jews didn't see Samaritans as being worthy of the law of Moses, and they weren't allowed to go to temple, and they weren't allowed to testify in court, and they had a lot of restrictions that they placed upon people from a Samaritan background. But in this story, Jesus goes outside of his, of his hometown, he goes outside of his territory, and he goes into Samaria to bring the good news of the kingdom. And it's there at this well that he encounters this woman who's obviously had a rough life. I mean, if you've had five husbands, you've had a rough life. And I can't imagine all of the backstory or details that gets left out in this account. But to have five husbands means you've seen some stuff and you've gone through some stuff. You've probably been kicked around a bunch too. And then Jesus says, and the man you're with now, he's not even your husband. Like you've, you've got a man problem. And so he gives her a word, a prophetic word that only, only the Holy Spirit could know, right? Jesus didn't know her background. He didn't grow up in Samaria. He didn't bump into her at the local pub. How could Jesus have known it? He, di he didn't know her. So through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit operating in Jesus' life, I believe that he was given this prophetic word. And she's stunned. She's absolutely stunned. But here's the cool part. Here's the effects of this encounter. Next slide. We see the woman who meets Jesus then go and tell her whole village about him. She tells him, and some of you guys have been watching The Chosen. You've seen this. I think actually Pastor Jim played this in church, uh, a dramatization of it. I met a man who told me everything about me. And this whole village ends up getting saved through one prophetic word, through one prophetic moment. An entire people are set free and redeemed and delivered. How awesome is God how awesome is the heartbeat of God? And so here's what I want to say to us and those of you who watched online. Don't be afraid of the prophetic. It doesn't have to be all scary and weird. It can be practical and beautiful and amazing because it's God's heart to operate in and through, hear me on this, I'm going to make a bold claim here, in and through every believer in this way. I'm going to tell you why that's scriptural here in just a moment. When it comes to desiring to prophesy, I want to say this. This is actually the first gift that we see manifest in the outpouring of what Joel 2 says is going to happen in the end days. It's prophecy. And uh, we see it repackaged later by Peter when he stands up under the power of the Holy Spirit and tells people about it, right? Acts chapter 2, once again. But we also see it in the life of the early church. As people are getting saved, as they're beginning to break bread and do fellowship with one another and take communion and gather to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we see churches being born. The ecclesia, 
the order and government of God is exploding in people's lives. And so Paul, is, who, who, who is a, an avid church planner and missionary and evangelist, he's coming to his church in Corinth and he's saying, be eager to desire the spiritual gifts, but especially the gift of prophecy. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Be eager to desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now tell me this, tell me this. Why would God, through his word, and to Christians today, be telling us to eagerly desire something that he doesn't want to give us? That's not even Indian giving, okay? Apologize for the equated term. Back when I was a kid, being an Indian giver means that someone gives you something and then takes it back. All right, this would be worse than that. It would be saying, I want to give you this, but ha, 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 you can't have it. I want to give you this extraordinary gift. I really want you to desire this, Ben. I want you to have it. Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? Ha, 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 can't have it. It's not for you. Wouldn't that just be capricious of God? Hey, that's a big word haven't used in a while. Wouldn't that just be mean? hearted of God to say, I want you to desire something, but never give it to you. I don't think that's the heartbeat of God. In fact, Jesus says, your fathers being evil know how to give give gifts, give gifts. That's a tongue twister. How much more so your father in heaven being not evil, but good, does he know how to give even better gifts? Essentially, that's the paraphrase. How much more so will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? He goes, I won't give you a scorpion. (laughs) I won't give you a stone if you ask for bread. I will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. To those who eagerly desire, go back one slide, Keaton. To those who eagerly desire, I want you to have this gift of prophecy, especially the gift of prophecy. Meaning there's other gifts that he wants you to have as well, but especially this one. So let's talk about what it means to desire to prophesy. Here's what 1 Corinthians, just to give you guys some some scripture, like I said I was going to. 1 Corinthians, next slide, 1424 says this. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you what's the modern day equivalent of this first of all I do desire to see this happen in our churches (laughs) I do desire to see people come in and experience the prophetic power of God and have the secrets of their hearts disclosed to them and for them to respond by worshiping I think that's amazing but I think the modern day equivalent is when you're having a conversation with somebody and the Holy Spirit power comes upon you and you begin to prophesy and you begin to say things that only God knows about them to them, it opens them up in a way that challenges their understanding and belief in God. But they can't deny it. They can't argue with you with it because you know stuff about them that you shouldn't know that could only come because of God, because of the influence of God in your life. I think that's the modern day equivalent. And I've seen this happen in conversations with people that I've had. I've seen it happen with other people where all of a sudden God just gives you a little bit of information about them and you're able to, to connect with them and, and, and encourage them in their faith or even better, to see an unbeliever make a decision for Christ. Let's talk about desiring to prophesy just a little more. We see it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Next slide, verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. All right, so for those of you that are watching, we're like, wait, what do you mean all believers can prophesy? Here it is. For you can all prophesy. It says you can, it doesn't say you will, because you gotta desire it. It's gotta be up to you to decide whether or not you wanna begin to operate in this or not. But he says you can all do it, you can all prophesy, and he gives some instructions one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, meaning that he wants it to happen in an orderly way. Um, and obviously he's talking about how to do this in church, but the you know, under, underlying premise it remains the same. You can all do it. Prophecy does this. It encourages and it builds up the church and it speaks to unbelievers' hearts. That's really what it was intended to do. That's its primary purpose in our life. You guys tracking with me today? All right. 
We're coming close to the end here. But I want to talk a little bit about operating in the prophetic because this is important. I understand sometimes the prophetic gets a bad rap. Maybe some of you have been in environments where you've seen people, you know, do all kinds of crazy things and call it prophetic. But I want to talk about three particular manifestations of the prophetic um, in, in regards to gift sets or in regards to the way that God does this uh, through the gifts that he calls us to desire. Uh, we see this happen in and through words of wisdom. This is insider counsel needed at an exact moment in a person's life. So sometimes people come to me and they're like, I don't know what to do. And it'd be really easy for me, because I've been a pastor for a long time now, to say, oh, you need to do A, B, C, and D. But my first inclination, and what I've trained myself to do, is to ask the Holy Spirit. God, what is it this person really needs? Sometimes people go, I need a job, I need money, I need help financially. And my instinct is to be, obviously, like, let me help you out, let me be generous. But oftentimes, that's not going to solve their problem. What they need is a specific word about the way that they're managing their money or the way that they're not managing their money, right? And so what they need is a word of wisdom. A lot of times people um, make this more, more aloof than it needs to be. Having a word of wisdom is easy because God has given us wisdom. God has given us the spirit of wisdom. God has given us the mind of Christ. So we should be operating from a place of wisdom. I'm going to do a series on wisdom eventually, because I think it's so needed in our culture right now, and especially amongst believers. So operating the prophetic means sometimes operating in words of wisdom. Sometimes it's operating in words of knowledge. This is when God specifically illuminates a place, physical condition, a name, or situation known only to the person receiving the word. So this is what I was kind of referring to earlier, when God gives you insider information about someone that you probably shouldn't have or wouldn't have unless the Holy Spirit was operating. And then a word of prophecy or prophecy directly. Um, here's what, how I would define it. Next slide, Keaton. A direct word from the heart of God to a person about either their past, their present, or about future events. A lot of times people think that prophecy is just about the future. And, and that is true, it can be. But it's not only about the future. A lot of times God wants to speak to things that have happened in the past to call people's attention to it so that he can bring them into their future, amen? But when you look at these, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of prophecy, these are all revelational prophetic gifts, meaning God is the one disclosing info or giving direction, which is why we have to be led by the Spirit, which is why you gotta be tuned up you can't just like eat a whole bunch of pizza, drink a ton of beers, get up the next day and expect God to be moving in and through your life. Nothing against pizza or beer. But I will say that if you want to operate in the prophetic, you really got to spend time with the Lord and you got to really become intimate with him and acquainted with him and you got to really stay close to him. I really believe that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us so we can. So you got to remain sensitive. You got to be willing to press in and step out in faith and, and be obedient when it's not comfortable. Where I've found that God works more powerfully in my life is when I'm walking more obediently with him. I find that obedience often leads to further obedience. But when you delay obedience or you're like, I don't really want to do that, I find that's what puts kinks in the hose, to use our hose analogy. And here's the good news, and here's where I want to encourage you and anybody watching online. You can unkink the hose by saying yes to God today, by being obedient today. You know why? Because his mercies are new each and every morning. Because each day he's, he's up with you, eager to see how you're going to respond to him in faith. That's the heart of a father. All right, you blew it yesterday, but come on, let's try again today. I'm going to set before you another opportunity for you to trust me in a wild way today. Are you ready? Come on, you can do it. Let's take the training wheels off. You can ride that bike. You can do this. Amen? That's the heart of God in this. I want to say one more thing about the prophetic. Maybe two things. I call this seeing, feeling, knowing, and hearing. A lot of times, next slide, Keaton. A lot of times when God works in our lives prophetically, he doesn't do it the same way in each and every person's life. Because all of us are different. All of us have been created and wired a little differently by God. Do you guys agree with that statement? Absolutely. Some people see visions or have dreams. My wife is a seer. She sees 
tons of visions, like when her eyes are open. To have a vision means your eyes are open. And she dreams lots of dreams when her eyes are closed. She's a dreamer and she's a seer. And God does works in and through her life in this way. Sometimes God will do this in my life, but for every one time that God does this in my life, he's done it a hundred times in her life. So a lot of times God will, will work and operate the prophetic in your life through visions and dreams. We see this once again in Joel 2 and Acts 2. In those days, what? He's gonna pour out his spirit and what's gonna be the result? People having dreams. God speaking to people in and through dreams, through visions. Young men having visions, old men having dreams. That's technically what the text says. But we also see it in the way that people feel things. Some people feel things or they get sensations. This is me every day, all day. I'm a feeler. A lot of times when I feel the presence of God in this room, you guys will see me like cr- start to cry. You'll see me start to feel like a wave of emotion come over me. Even sometimes when I preach, I'll feel like tingles all throughout my body. I'll sometimes feel the hair stand up on my skin. Sometimes I'll feel warm oil on my head or sometimes I'll feel fire in my feet. A lot of times I'll feel things when the Holy Spirit is moving. Oftentimes when I'm praying for people, I'll, I'll wait until I feel that nudge or that prompting from God, until I feel kind of like that okay to proceed. Sometimes people know down deep in their heart. Uh, we would call them knowers. They just know, right? They just show up and they've got this, this knowledge that they shouldn't have because God's put it down into their soul. They show up and they're like, I know this about you. And it's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and oftentimes it's amazing, especially when it's accurate, how you can just know something. Like, I just know this. Sometimes you walk into a store and all of a sudden you're like, I know something's gonna go wrong. And then you, you leave that store and the store explodes, right? And you, as you're walking away, the explosion is, <laughs> that's really dramatic. But maybe, maybe God says, you know what, today, I don't want you to take that exit or that freeway. You just know. Like there's something off. There's something wrong, right? We would call this having discernment. All of you guys are probably knowers in some degree because you all can discern uh, maybe I shouldn't walk into the situation. Maybe I shouldn't go to the, the bar or the pub tonight. Maybe I shouldn't go hang out with those people. You just know it, right? Nobody's told you. You didn't have a vision. You didn't have a dream about it. You didn't feel the hair on your, on your body stand up, but you know it. That's being a knower. And then some people hear. Some people are hearers. And sometimes they hear down in their heart. They'll hear God speaking to them. Um, that happens a lot of times in my life. Uh, because I'm a knucklehead, so I need God to speak to me, um, or audibly. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I know a lot of people that have, and it's rare. It doesn't happen every day. But I want to say this. These can all be valid forms of the prophetic. So don't disregard one form just because it's not your form, right? Don't look down upon feelers and knowers and hearers if you're a seer, or don't look down on seers, feelers, and knowers if you're a hearer. These are all valid ways through which God wants to operate in our lives prophetically. Are you with me? So how do we grow in this? How do we grow in the prophetic? That's why you guys are here today. We want to first and foremost test everything according to scripture. We want everything we do to be according to scripture, meaning we don't want to speak anything that's contrary to the word of God. It drives me crazy, and I love prophetic people, but it drives me crazy when they say things that are contrary to the word of God. Like, no, I'm sorry, God didn't say I was going to grow wings and fly over that bridge. That's not in the word of God. (laughs) I'm using that as a very silly example, but some of you guys have bumped up against people that sometimes will come up with things and say things and and express thoughts or theologies or, or, or things that we just don't see in the scripture. And that's why the Bible says we're called to test everything. Test it. How do we test it? We take it to the word of God. So if, if, God, if someone gives you a prophetic word and it seems a little off or it seems a little contrary, you go to the scripture and you, and you look through some of those common passages that you know are gonna speak to that. And you test it and you go, God, is this, is this right? Or you go to a leader and you talk to a leader, you talk to a pastor like myself and say like, this person told me this, you know, should I trust that? And then we'll discern it together or we'll pray about it together. 
Or someone comes up to you and says, I'm supposed to be your future husband. Definitely test that, okay? Can't tell you how crazy and how many stories I've heard of that happening. I could actually tell you tons of stories. It's very sad. Um, if someone says they're supposed to be your husband on the first date, run, please. Just go. Just get out and say, thank you for paying for my meal, but I'm out of here. Okay, ladies, that's especially for you. You got to pray and you got to discern first. <laughs> this is how we grow together. <laughs> we got to pray, we got to discern. Then we got to step out in faith. You see, the more you use what you're given, the easier it will become, meaning the more you'll grow, you'll grow in it. It's, it's like going to the gym. The more that you lift weights, the stronger you're going to get. But obedience is key. Obedience is the key. When you're unsure about how to operate in the prophetic, but you want to do it anyways, here's the greatest prophetic word you can give people. Are you ready? Here it is, Keaton. Jesus loves you very much. It's always on time. It's always prophetic. It's always true. Amen? I like that. I thought I'd uh, leave you with a little humor. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to say a couple things about presence evangelism. Presence evangelism. What makes us different as people in the earth? I believe the answer is this, the presence of God. You see this all throughout the Bible, but particularly throughout the Old Testament. The people of Israel were marked by having the presence of God with them. This was so important to David that when the ark of the covenant was captured and taken into a foreign place, he went out after it to bring it back into Jerusalem because he knew that what set them apart, what marked them was the power and presence of God with them. Amen? And as the people of God, that's the mark that we're called to bear, the presence of God. I like the way Moses says it in Exodus chapter 33. He says this in verses 13 through 16. Next slide. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, God, do not bring us up from here. If you're not going to go with us, I ain't going. Don't take me out of this place if you're not coming with me. Anybody ever feel like that? I feel like that oftentimes every day when I get up. I'm like, God, if you're not with me today, I'm just going back to bed. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'd like to go get a little extra sleep anyway, so that's not a bad thing. But he says this, for how then... Will it be known? I don't know why that made me laugh. For how then will it be known? <laughs> Probably because I need some sleep. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found favor in your sight, except you go with us? Except you go with us. How will people know that you're marked by God unless the presence of God is with you? How will they know? How will they know that God wants to heal them and love them unless the presence of God is with you? That's essentially what Moses was saying. And that's essentially the heartbeat of every believer. God, be with us, right? That's what we celebrate every Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. The presence of God with us is called to mark us and distinguish us from every other people group in the world. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, you see this. When the neighboring tribes and nations would come to attack Israel, they'd be like, is, do they have the Ark of the Covenant with them? Is the presence of God with them? Because if so, like, I don't know if it's a good day to go in and, and fight these people. They've, they've got a bigger God working on their behalf. I really believe this. I really believe that God wants to pour out his presence more in these days than he ever has before. Now, that's my personal conviction. You can test that according to scripture, but I've already given you two, Acts 2 and Joel 2. In those days, he wants to pour out his spirit, not just on Israel, but the Bible says upon all flesh, upon all nations. As Gentiles, that's good news to me because I wasn't born ethnically Jewish or spiritually Jewish. I was born the son of an agnostic, atheist who got radically saved, radically turned upside down for Christ. And as a result, I got grafted in. Praise you, Lord. So thankful for what God's done in my family. I'm so thankful that at a young age, he grabbed a hold of my heart. So let's talk a little bit about presence evangelism and what I like to call becoming a presence conduit. I, 
That's, you did it right, Keats. I, I started with this at the beginning of our time together, right? talking about what it means to be conduit. But I really believe this. God wants his power and his presence to flow through us like a conduit. As it turns out, I like this analogy or this example. Pure gold makes the best conduits because there are no impurities to slow the process, to slow the current of electricity. Isn't that amazing? So if you use rubber or you use uh, plastic or you use copper or bronze, like, you know, it's, it's going to do its job, but it's going to slow the process. But if you talk to electricians, you talk to anybody that works with electricity, they're going to tell you that pure gold makes the best conduit. It's also really expensive because it's pure. There's no impurities to slow the process. Becoming a presence conduit means that your life is meant to be refined like gold. We see this in Daniel 12.10, 1 Peter 1.7, and Jesus alludes to this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. God wants our lives to become refined in his fire. That's why we suffer. That's why we're tested. That's why we're challenged. That's why we have to overcome obstacles. That's why we go through tough situations. That's why when things are difficult for us, we actually rejoice because we know that God is refining us. Here's the error the, here's the, error the modern church makes. I'm struggling. I must not be doing God's will. I'm going through a hard time. I must not be at the center of God's will. I'm struggling with or, or ex experiencing difficulty in an area of my life, I must not be doing God's will. Or I, I better change my situation. Or I better find a new church. Or I better find a new relationship. Or I better find a new spouse. You know what's going on? You're being refined like gold. God's trying to draw out the impurities. For those of you that are familiar with the way that gold is made, it's heated up to such a high, intense temperature that all the, the dross or the impurities rise to the top so that God can then go and get it out of your life. When you go through hardship, the reason Paul says, I rejoice, is because he learned the lesson. Oh, God is purifying me. God is refining my faith. He's refining me like gold. He's giving me an opportunity to become pure so that his power and his presence can flow through me like a conduit. That's it. Man, I'll tell you what, when I got that revelation understanding, it changed the way I viewed hardship. I stopped complaining about it. <sighs> Boss doesn't know what he's talking about, stupid. <laughs> My mom doesn't know what she's talking about, stupid. My friend doesn't know what they're talking about, stupid. Right? You stop complaining and grumbling about the hard things in your life or the hard people in your life and you start going, God, you're refining me like fire. God, you're purifying my heart. Father, you're testing me and challenging me and shaping my faith. Thank you, Jesus. I rejoice in the work that you're doing in my life. That's maturity. Mature believers can say that because they've lived long enough following Jesus to know that there's a reward in that, that there's a a beauty in that, that there is a glory in that. I believe that's how God is most glorified in and through us. Through adversity, through trials, through suffering, through pain. Why? Because he can use all of that. He can transform all of that to be glorified in and through your life. When you allow your life to become refined like fire, you essentially are saying, God, I want to become a presence conduit. I want to be a place, a pure place, for more of your presence and power to flow so that the lives of people all around me can be impacted and changed. Amen and amen. The last thing I wanna say today is about worship because I believe that when we worship, we see his presence and his power fill the room and fill our lives wherever we are, whenever we are, in ways that are extraordinary. Worship is obviously an obvious choice in doing presence evangelism. Because when the people of God worship, we know that God inhabits our praise. We know that he moves mightily in our midst wherever we are and wherever we go. My prayer for us as a church is this, is that we would be audacious, bold worshipers of the King of Kings. And how many of you guys know worship's not just about singing, 
That's an expression through which we can worship. But come on, worship is so much bigger than that. It's about our whole life giving glory to God. It's our witness. It's the way that we share our faith. It's the way that we stand for righteousness. It's the way that we choose purity over temptation and lust. It's the way that we, we declare who God is, not just when people are looking, but when people aren't looking. My favorite time to worship is when people aren't watching. It's not on this stage. I love to worship on this stage. This is fun. But my favorite times <laughs> are when I can get real wild. You know what I'm talking about. That whole dance like nobody's watching thing. Sing like nobody's listening. You're in that shower. You got your shower cap on. You got the nozzle and the water's going everywhere and the soap and you're just, ah. Some of you need to try it. Pastor Jason is giving you permission to try that. It's amazing what kind of freedom comes in the secret place of the Most High God. In your secret place, you need to protect that. Because before you can go out and worship with others and tell the world about how awesome Jesus is, you need to discover that and be enriched in that and grow in that in your own relationship with God when no one's watching. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for our time together today. Father, thank you for your word, which always brings life and encouragement to us. Lord, thank you for your desire that we would eagerly want these spiritual gifts, that we would eagerly desire to prophesy and speak in tongues and operate in the prophetic and words of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And Father, we thank you that you give us these good gifts for the sake of other people. But Lord, you also do it to build us up. And so God, I just thank you that your people would be built up and encouraged. And for all those watching online, wherever they are today, that they would experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in ways like never before. God, would you pour out your spirit upon us in these days? We need you like dry land needs rain. That's our hearts, God, parched without you, lacking without you. Oh God, some of us have tried to do the work of God in the flesh and we're burnt out. I'm speaking to people online that are burnt out and discouraged and frustrated because you've been working for God, but you've been doing it under your own power. And today the Holy Spirit is saying to you, it's time for my power and my presence to come upon your life so that you can do this with my power. And with God, we know that all things are possible. So Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. And Father, we, we thank you for all the good gifts that you've given us. And we thank you for more. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.